Hey, Josh and Summer, where are you guys sitting? You switched places. <laughs> Great job. Thanks for doing the video uh, and reminding us of all the value of just meeting people over there at the West End Little League opening ceremonies. Great little backstory to that. Uh, last year when we were doing that, and uh, some of our folks had already met Josh and Summer, and they encouraged Michelle and I to go over there and visit with them. And we were exhorted by somebody from another church that they were already theirs. And I thought they were kidding at first. And then it was like, no, it was serious stuff. Game on. And um, so we reminded you guys, no pressure. I mean, this is a no-pressure church. We always want to make people feel welcome, but not pressure anybody. We want to get people exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is God's plan to rescue us from sin. It doesn't matter whether they go to Westgate as long as they're going to an evangelical church that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our desire. And I hope that you'll be there. It's going to be some other fun stuff. Mark, are you here, Mark Pekisic? I think Mark had a, a double whammy schedule today, but uh, he's going to be there. Uh, many of you know that Mark played professional baseball, and so he's got some uh, baseball cards that has his testimony in the back, and he's going to be autographing. And I went to the bullpen because they invite me to come over and lead the prayer, uh, mainly because we provide parking. So they, <clears throat> they token prayer, pastor, come over and lead prayer. And so I'm going to the bullpen, and we're bringing Mark in, and he's going to lead in the prayer. It's going to be a really fun time, so I hope you'll be there. Be sure and wear your shirt, by the way. These are not just shirts for you to have, uh, but be sure and wear that green shirt next week. And uh, congratulations to Jeff, 28 years. That is a long time of being here. Jeff and Renee have been here as, as they were here before Google. Uh, I mean, that's a long time, isn't it? And we're thankful for them. Thank you for their, their ministry and their friendship. Uh, and as we think about this whole idea of, uh, you know, Jeff really had, was really instrumental. I, while he was talking and about the, the opening day, I thought, man, I'd like to go back and play Little League. I'd like to sign up. I'd like to register for these gift cards. Uh, but I think we need to be praying for the people that we will encounter over there. So let's take a moment to pray, okay? God, we thank you that the gospel, your plan to rescue us from sin is not a big secret. Forgive us when we've made it a secret or we've so internalized it that we become hoarders of the best news that has ever been delivered to humanity. Help us to be so attentive about the needs of other people. We can look across the parking lot and hear excitement and fun. Yet, Lord, we know that every home, there are the challenges of life, of raising kids and trying to figure out things. Sometimes there's great heartache, disappointment, grief. And we have the opportunity to speak into people's lives, not as authorities, but simply as fellow pilgrims who have found the gospel of Christ to be more than satisfying in life. I pray that you would help us as a church to be eager about the opportunity to talk with people, to introduce ourselves, to let them know that there is hope in this fallen world. I pray that we would completely overwhelm this place next week, and not only here, but in our community, in our neighborhood, the houses and homes so close to us, Lord, that we would be praying for the salvation of those we know that are lost. That that would unsettle us. That we would become so uncomfortable with that reality that it would move us to action. Lord, sometimes we 
feel as if it's a testimony to say that we felt you were calling us to talk to somebody and the opportunity passed and we say, well, next time we need to be more attentive. God, may we not squander any opportunities, but as your word says, to make the most of every opportunity, especially among those who are not yet Christians. Thank you for this church. Thank you for who they are. The way that they are so generous and kind. The way that they are always seeking ways to minister, just like this next week. We celebrate that. And Lord, today we thank you for Jeff and Renee. 28 years, which is absolutely unheard of in churches today. Thank you for their tenure, for their faithfulness, for their loyalty, for their desire to follow hard after you. I pray that you would bless them that they would know of your favor in this coming year. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Well, last week we began, as we continued through the book of Jude, a two-part, pictures with countless words. Jude is illustrating the danger of, fall, fall, of false teachers because they always follow a very predictable path, which leads to destruction and death for the false teacher and for those who follow after them. One of the most notorious false teachers in our generation has been Jim Jones. He was leader of his own proclaimed church called the People's Temple. I was a sophomore in college in 1978, November 18th of 1978, when news began to break out across the world. A mass suicide in which over 900 people were instructed to drink cyanide-laced flavor aid. Those people had followed Jim Jones down to Jonestown, Guyana, down in South America, because he proclaimed it would become a utopia. And it's from that place that we get the phrase that you've probably said, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. That's where it originated. Uniquely, Wikipedia describes him as, and listen to the words that they use. Jim Jones is, was an American preacher. Okay, sounds all right. Political activist. Okay. And mass murderer. Three descriptive phrases. American preacher, political activist, mass murderer. He started preaching from the Bible. He would say this is God's word, and he would give guidance from it. And then later on in his ministry, he became somewhat of a despot. And he was telling people, I watched it in a documentary about his life, and he was opening up the Bible and he said, we no longer need this. And he threw it off of the stage because you now have me to give you direction and guidance. And people followed him literally to their death. It began a very predictable path that led to horrible consequences. That's what Jude is talking about. When you follow after false teachers, their demise and yours is very predictable. And he begins to paint some pictures of what that looks like. He said, number one, it leads to polluted bodies, literally the destruction of your physical flesh, your body. It leads to angelic disputes, and ultimately you began to act on your animalistic instincts. Jim Jones was a true picture of exactly what Jude described. His leadership through abuse led people to begin to experiment with all kinds of drugs and sexuality that destroyed their bodies. 
He postured himself as an authority above and beyond Scripture. And people literally, in a jungle in South America, ended up living like animals. And Jude, as he's instructing us, said, listen, godless rebellion, rebelling against God, his creative order, his word, his authority, when you rebel against that, it always spirals down to destruction. It never goes up. It always goes down. But then he contrasts that to say, but godly obedience leads to eternal life. Everything that you don't hear in the story of Jim Jones. You might recall last week we talked about choices, the fact that we can't choose the consequences of our choices. If there's a cobra on the ground and you decide that one of your choices is you're going to grab that snake, you can't choose what that snake will do. And our choices always impact other people. Just like the idiot who grabs the snake. It will impact other people that will have to provide care for him. It will impact his family. It will impact those around him. We can't choose the consequences of our choices, but we can choose to make choices that have better consequences. Those were the pictures worth countless words that Jude gave us last week. It's amazing how much is in this very brief book. And you might say, well, your words sound countless. Well, I'll try to reduce them because we do have the Lord's Supper here. But today we come to part two, pictures worth countless words. And we look at the character and their character, the characters and their character of these false teachers. It's found in Jude 11 through 13. Woe to them. It's Pew Bible, page 1910, if you want to follow along. Woe to them. It's this great statement of danger, destruction, everything that you should move away from. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are hidden reefs, blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom black darkness has been reserved forever. Who are the characters? Again, Judah's trying to say, there are false teachers out there. Beware. They have destructive intent in their heart. And we all need to be aware, they weren't just in ancient times, they exist even today. And he says, we want to compare them to some, some characters from the Old Testament. Number one is Cain. We find Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. And, the, and the, the example there is he's talking about Cain and his offering to God in contrast to his brother Abel. And we know how that story turned out. God rejected Cain's offering, accepted, accepted Abel's offering, and because of Cain's pride, he killed his brother. When Jude is talking about these characters, he wants us to see that false teachers like those of the Old Testament, these examples that he uses, were driven by certain things, and Cain was driven by his pride. False teachers are driven by pride. The pride of those who will follow after them, being thought to be the best, of having a significant following. And what did Cain do? See, when Cain brought his offering to God, he didn't bring the best of what he had. 
He simply brought an offering. He was a farmer, and so he brought a grain offering. Abel was a shepherd, so he brought an animal sacrifice. And in contrast to the two, Abel obviously was trying to give God his very best. Cain just wanted to give God something so that he would bless him, that he would earn God's favor. And in the process of that, we're told in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 14, that Abel gave a superior offering. You remember what happened after that? Cain was so filled with pride, such anger, that God had accepted his brother's offering that he killed his brother. See, what Jude is talking about, they're false teachers that are driven by their pride. They can't stand to have anybody with something better than themselves. And it leads to destruction. You've all known leaders like that that are filled with pride. Another character is Balaam, who is driven by greed. We think about Balaam, what a bizarre story. Balaam is such an affirmation to me that God can speak through donkeys. And so I just say, God, thank you that you speak through donkeys because I know that includes me. It's a crazy story. Balak, who was the king of Moab, and you remember back in Christmas when we were talking about ancestry.what, where the Moabites came from, that's a really creepy weird story that has to do with Lot and his family. And so the king of Moab invites Balaam, who was this weird quasi-prophet, a diviner, to come and cast a curse on the Israelites. And he offers to pay him. And Balaam is saying, that's what I do. But the problem was, was God was telling him, no, you don't do that. And in the process of going, his donkey starts speaking to him. Have you ever read that story? It's crazy. You can find it in Numbers 22 through 24. Well, the end result is that he doesn't bless the Hebrew people. He doesn't, he doesn't put a curse on them. He puts a blessing on them. But that's not the end of the story. Balaam is still looking for the money that he can get from Balak, and so he does this weird stuff where he kind of convinces the Israelites to intermarry with the Moabites, and it causes a plague to break out in which 24,000 people die. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 31. See, Balaam was driven by greed. And here's Jude saying, I want you to understand the characters and their characteristics. And characters, false teachers, are driven by pride, and they're driven by greed. And here was Balaam saying, I want to line my pockets. I want to tell you a quick story uh, just from this last week. Fun story. You know that we have this television ministry, and uh, there are people out in the community that, that they depend upon that, and it meets their needs. We have a couple thousand people, uh, a couple thousand homes every Sunday that watch. And we regularly say that we, we will never charge you or ask you for money for Westgate. Now, I hope you agree with that, but that's the posture I'm taking. We're not going to ask you for money. This is a ministry to the community. And uh, so a few weeks ago, I asked them to send in just a brief note to thank you for that ministry as we were approaching the 25th anniversary, just to say thank you for the ministry that we have here, that you provide. Every once in a while, we will ask people if you would like to give. We're helping out people, like when we had the hurricane damage over in Louisiana. We said, if you would like to give, it doesn't stay at Westgate. It goes to help other people. We never invite them to give here. A lady sent $20, $20 bill. And as I was looking at that $20 bill and this note that she sent, nobody's ever sent, uh, well, some people have sent money uh, on their own, but here's the deal. I took the $20 bill, taped it to the envelope inside, wrote her a note, 
thanked her for her generosity, but said, we do not charge for this ministry. Please put this where you feel God is leading you, but this is, we don't take money here. Why? I never want us to be perceived as greedy, that this is an opportunity for us to make more money. I've heard plenty on television that ask for money, and I'm not going to fault them. But you never want to get trapped in this idea of greed. Because whenever you see people that are asking and asking and asking for money, buyer beware. That makes sense? Okay. And then we see Korah. Numbers chapter 16. This is a Levite who doesn't like his position. And he wants more power like Moses and Aaron. And so he leads a rebellion to say, who do you think you are? Moses and Aaron, we're just as godly as you are. Why do you think you need to be the leader? And there we see a false teacher that is driven by power, pride, greed, and power. Those three sum it up. And he wanted to receive the same power and influence that Moses and Aaron had, and God had a different message. And if you go back and read the story in Numbers chapter 16, you will find that in, as a result of that, he, Korah, his followers, his family, over 250 people were swallowed up by the earth. So Judah's just using that as an example to say, beware of false teachers in which you see this perversion of pride and greed and power. That's their character. Look back at Jude chapter tw- uh, verses 12 through 13. It says, these people, talking about the character, the characteristics of them, these people are hidden reefs, blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves, their clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, uprooted twice, their wild ways of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars from whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. He begins to describe what they do to a congregation, what they are like. Hidden reeves. That's a, your translation might say blemishes. It's, it's a picture of the coral reef that is just under the water. And when you get out on a boat and everything looks like smooth sailing until your boat hits it and begins to sink. Now you want a contemporary illustration of that. It's like mailboxes in Harvey. If you remember the, the boats that would be driving down the roads and all of a sudden you poof, and they hit a mailbox sticking up and they couldn't see it. That's what he's talking about here. And he's saying that they're like hidden reefs because they infiltrate the church and they come to your love feast and we're going to have something of what was a part of the love feast in which they would have communion. And they would come together for a big potluck and they would share a meal and sometimes they would do the Lord's Supper before and sometimes after. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we'll, we'll visit here in a few minutes that they would come together sometimes and they would so corrupt that that they would be drunk by the time it was coming to the Lord's Supper. And he was saying these false teachers, they come And they don't care about other people. They only care about themselves. In a very pious way, they walk around and it says they feed only themselves, caring about only themselves. They're hidden reefs just under the surface. Beware. Talks about clouds without water. They are oversold and under-delivered. I saw that in a review of something online and I thought that's a great way of saying something's not very good. Oversold and under-delivered delivered. Clouds without water. We understand that, especially when times of seasons of drought in which things are so dry and you look for a cloud and you're hoping, you look, and it may even be a 
gray, dark cloud, and you're hoping for rain, but it doesn't deliver a thing. And he's saying that's the kind of individuals they are. They promise so much, but they deliver absolutely nothing. It says they're autumn trees without fruit, uprooted twice that they're dead. They lead people to think that they're offering a better life, but they offer no life at all. They deceive. It's a picture of Jude was talking about that people would understand in the vicinity of Palestine, they would, they would see trees in the autumn which they were supposed to be bearing fruit and they would look and they would look like they would have fruit, much like when Jesus looked at the fig tree and he cursed it because it didn't have any figs. They look like they're offering something, but they offer absolutely nothing. Twice dead much like the picture of what we see when you take a branch and you cut it off of a tree and you lay it down and it looks alive for a season, but it's not but a few days and it begins to look dead. That's the picture here. Wild waves that foam up their shame. Talking about leaders that just convolute things. They churn up chaos wherever they go. They make you sick, like being in a boat out in the, in the sea. I, I've been out uh, in the ocean a number of times fishing, and sometimes you just feel so nauseated by floating around in the water. It, it just doesn't seem to stabilize. You see, that's the kind of people they are. You think about waves that come crashing in, and what happens with the waves is they will bring in the residue and the trash that is in the ocean. It eventually becomes known. Those are the kinds of people they are wandering stars, these pictures that Jude gives us that are so vivid. They're drifters. They're not dependable. They're restless. Don't follow people like that. Always moving on. Oh, the, 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 the list of stories that I could tell of people involved in church life that will churn it up and create chaos as if this has to be done in the church. We have to do things differently. And then they leave. I've been a part of so many experiences like that. It's like, if you're going to leave, why not just leave? But cause all this conflict and then leave. That's what he's talking about here. They make a stink and move on. What is our defense against all of this? Is to focus on forever. Listen to how he closes out verse 13. For whom these false teachers, blackest darkness has been reserved forever. And the way that it's written in the original language to say it's already done. They have already earned their destiny. Blackest black forever. So oftentimes we get caught up in the short term, don't we? Something that seems so appealing in the moment. And the Christian life is a marathon. It's an ultra-marathon. It's a long haul. It's perseverance to the very end. I've said this so many times, but I'll say it again. Some of you that are older and you wonder the value that you have in church life because you can't do the things that you once did. Know this, the value of your presence speaks volumes. Your life says to everyone that looks at you in the presence of the congregation that you are still on the journey with all the scars with all the heartache, with all of the experiences of life, you are still faithful to the end. Friend, never discount your testimony of perseverance. What if you knew the stock market was going to hit one trillion? Whether you follow the Dow or the NASDAQ or uh, whatever you follow, what if it was going to hit, if you knew it was going to hit one trillion, would you pull your money out? Well, no. 
And Jude is saying, there is going to be a time in which your perseverance now is going to be worth everything in eternity. Paul would write about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, what we suffer now is nothing in comparison to the glory that we will experience with Christ in heaven. So be faithful. Don't follow false teachers. Don't follow false doctrine. Follow the gospel of Jesus Christ that tells us the plan that God has to rescue us is that his love is so great for us that he created us to have a relationship with him that would last forever. But because of our sin, our rebellion against God, we are forever separated from God and we can only be made right with God through Christ. But thankfully, Jesus can make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins, turn away from our desire for sin, and turn towards our desire for Christ. Fully surrender our life to him. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to pray with me in just a moment to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. It begins a relationship with Christ. If you're already a Christian, think of someone that you know is maybe not yet a Christian or they're very far from God right now. And pray for them. So let's pray together and thank God for his word and what he has done. God, we thank you that you give us such clear direction in your word, such vivid pictures that remind us of what false teachers like Jim Jones and others will lead. And we might not even recognize him like Jim Jones, be sitting right in our midst, leading us in directions that we should never go. Help us to be discerning and wise and prudent, recognizing that as we keep our focus on forever, that will keep our focus on your word because you tell us it's the only thing that will last. Help us to be diligent about reading your word that reminds us that it's not just about this brief tenure of life on earth, but there's so much more. And I think about people even now that have never embraced you as Lord and Savior. We know from your word that is the greatest need of anyone's life. I pray that someone today would feel you tugging at their heart and pray a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus. I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, thank you for the guidance of your word. Think back and just realize here is a man from 2,000 years ago slept in the same house as you, half-brother, who even in the midst of that never saw you as the Messiah. Yet after the resurrection, just as we have read in the book of Acts, gathered together in the upper room with the disciples were your brothers. You hear his heart's cry, the, the way that you have used him to speak so forcefully, admonishing us to stay faithful to the truth of your word. Lord, give us hearts to do exactly that, to be faithful to, as we have said, to follow hard after you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're now going to enjoy the Lord's Supper that was a part of the experience that we talked about here just briefly. So I'd like for our deacons to come on down and go ahead and begin to pass out the elements. Just get the trays and begin to move while I'm talking and
as we have this time together, it's a great reminder just to, to reflect upon what Christ has done for us. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, he has rescued us from the penalty and the power of sin. And we get to celebrate that even now, a reminder of his body that was broken for us, his blood that was spilled. If you're a Christian that has repented of your sins, you're not following in willful defiance against God, you've been baptized as a demonstration of your commitment to Christ, whether you're a member of this church or not, you're welcome to join us. We would love for you to join us in the celebration of what Christ has done. It's a solemn celebration. Solemnly remember what Christ has done and we celebrate what he has done. So please take some moments even now just to begin to pray for your heart to be right as we receive these elements. And guys, you can go ahead and just begin to pass those out.
just to gather in your house today to worship you with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, to sing songs about your amazing grace, to sing songs that uh, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. Father, I never get tired of looking up into the nighttime sky, seeing all the stars that you've hung up there, uh, to see pictures of galaxies that are millions and millions of miles away, and to think that the same God that created those, the same God knows my name and sent his son to die for me. Father, as we gather at your table, Lord, I just pray that each heart would take time to rededicate, uh, to seek to love you uh, deeper and more completely, and to demonstrate that love uh, by loving and serving those around us. Uh, just bless this time, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The beautiful song that we were hearing shall play newer song about God's sufficiency for today. His grace is always sufficient for whatever we're experiencing. And what a unique parallel today to look at these false teachers and to recognize that Jesus is the infinite opposite of what we have seen today. Perfect in every way. Completely enveloped in love and wants to envelop you in his love. And that's what this communion is about. And that's why he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So as often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. It's been said many times that every time we worship, we should be changed in some way, always for the better, maybe through repentance, maybe through prayer, maybe through response to God. As we sing this last song and worship together, let's ask God, how do you want me to change today? If you prayed to receive Christ earlier, we'd love to talk to you more about that. You can go to the Connection Center out in the atrium afterwards, visit with us. Communication cards are all over. You heard about that earlier. You can fill that out and ask us to get in touch with you. And we'll also be standing at the cross over here to pray with you if you'd like. Our deacons of the month will be standing with their wife at the back of each one of these aisles. They'll pray with you as well. So let's stand together and let's ask God, how do you want me to change? Broken world. 
Take your connection card back to the booth to get your t-shirt. Signing up for Saturday. Have a great week.